Welcome to episode 84 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on June 2nd, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I am also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? You know, I've realized in this episode that whenever we do the intros, because we swap off every week, that you, whenever you read the intros, it's always like fast and exciting and invigorating. And whenever I read the intros, it's always like an NPR, like, welcome to episode 84. And I wonder <laughs> if people notice that or if they're annoyed by either of us for doing it not the same way as the other person. I bet that they have noticed, and I bet everyone is annoyed at both of us for doing it. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's nice because you know right away what you're getting. You know if you're getting a Corey show, you know if you're getting a Brad show, right from the top of the show. I don't know. I think it's kind of neat. I think I like we have our own little unique takes on it. Uh, listeners, if you have feedback, <laughs> not sure they want to hear it, but I guess let us know anyway. <laughs> All right. So today, folks, um, I hate to break it to you, but we have another short show. I'm super sorry, but my crazy, crazy work schedule is continuing. Um, I think this is probably going to be the last week where we do not have enough time to record. Um, we've had, I, I have had a bananas, bananas week at work. Um, I'm not going to get into it now because we don't have time, but uh, I just want to apologize again for uh, shorting you a little bit. We do have some banter at the back end of the show, so that's there for you. Not as much as we usually do, but we have some, and we will do our best to get through. Actually, um, a very exciting show. I'm very excited, um, Corey, because people say that sometimes we're a little critical or sometimes we're a little bit negative, but boy, this show, I mean, I'm not sure about your half, but my half is <laughs> going to be stellar, superstar, positive, just nothing but happy, <laughs> happy, joy, joy. So today is going to be a happy show. Um, is it going to be a happy show for you, Corey? Uh, for the most part, I think. Okay, well, that's good. Today is going to be, mark this on your calendar, folks, Red Letter Day. It's going to be a positive, super positive show here at So Video Games. Um, so real quick, uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, before we get into our games talk, uh, I reminded you about the banter. I'm skipping the script. Sorry, we're doing this fast and loose because we are on the <laughs> clock. Yeah, there's banter at the end of the show. You guys know that. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, also, I want to give a quick apology to Michael London and also to Jeroen, super fan Jeroen. Um, so Michael had hit me up on Twitter and said that he really appreciated my son, Witty coming along and doing his review, his child-oriented, child-focused review. And he wanted more of that, and I'm happy to provide. Witty was really excited, but we just haven't had the time. So, Michael, I'm super sorry that we haven't got to it yet. We will get to it at some point in the future, for sure. Witty's down. I'm down. I'm sure Corey will be down. Um, we just don't have the time. So, I have made note, and we are planning to do it. I just, just, this is a really, really bad week for it. Also, <laughs> apologies to Jeroen. He sent in monster Q&A. Oh, no. We just, we just don't have time for it. I told him we were going to do it on this episode because I figured my busyness at work would be over, but it is not over. So, Jeroen, I'm really sorry. I told you this episode. It's not this episode. We will try to do it ASAP, but I have the questions. We will, we will get to it. I swear to you. Um, so, apologies to you guys. And again, apologies to everybody else for having a short show today, but we're going to do the best we can 
And at least we didn't skip a week, because it would have been pretty easy to skip a week. We're not skipping a week, so we yeah. are committed to you, dear listeners. Well, and last uh, week, I just want to, like, give ourselves a pat on the back, because last week we put out, like, an hour and a half show, and we still talked about four games, and we got plenty of banter in, so, like, we know we can do this, and we can we can do this. We're going to do it. We're going to have to do it. It's going to be really, really quick. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to make it real short and tight this week, and next week, I think, hopefully, we'll have a little bit more room. So let's really quickly... Um, talk about our first game. Uh, it's called G30. It's on iOS. And I want to say thank you to developer Ivan Taitov, who reached out to us on Twitter uh, and said he would like us to take a look at his game. And I said, if you got some codes, we're happy to look at your game. And he did. And we are. And that's what's going down right now. <laughs> so <laughs> once again, it's called G, like letter G, G30 on iOS. And I have not finished this game, but I put in about an hour or so. Corey, did you finish this game? I have not. I've played it for about one to two hours, roughly. Okay, so I will give a brief description, and then, Corey, if you want to give us your thoughts real quick. Basically, uh, it's kind of like a meditative, real kind of chill puzzle game where you have images that are made up of, like, three or four different layers. Um, There's, like... Uh, a red layer, green layer, blue layer, yellow layer. And uh, so, like, in the very first puzzle, it's like a bird. And so, like, the head of the bird is green, and the legs are red, and the wings are blue, and the body's yellow. But they're all, it's kind of, it's kind of jumbled up. And so you have to turn these wheels to alter the image that's that you're trying to make. So, like, the top of the screen will say bird, but it doesn't look like a bird. It looks just like random something. <laughs> and so you spin the wheels around until all the different pieces are in place. And sometimes... You spin one wheel and then other wheels spin. So it's not just as simple as just rotating everything into place because sometimes they're interconnected, sometimes they're not. But the point is to spin them around, make the picture that you need to make. And then when that happens, a little bit of text pops up at the top, which have like keywords. And then you click the keywords and it makes like a a story of some sort. So that's the game in a super, super nutshell. Corey, um, did I leave anything out? And what did you think of G30? Um, you have not left anything out. Uh, I was glad that you took the reporting duties on how to describe this game because I wasn't sure that I could do it very well because um, it's kind of odd, but in a good way, like not in a bad way. Um, I think this game, um, I think it's really elegantly designed. I think it's uh, really pretty. It's pretty easy to play with one hand, which is kind of a weird compliment, but that's um, you know an iOS kind of compliment, I guess. Um, I, I like it. I like that it's a puzzle game and it's not too hard because we've talked about a hundred times on the show. Um, I'm not great with puzzle games, but because the meat of the game is just turning these dials to create these images, um, it's really not that complicated, although it does get more complicated as you play it. But I've been playing it for about maybe an hour and a half. Uh, I've probably done like 10 of the pictures, maybe 15 somewhere in there. And so far, I have never been stumped or I've never had to, like, look at a, you know, guide or anything. I don't even know if any guides exist for it. But um, I've been able to solve everything on my own. My, If I could offer one bit of, like, feedback or one bit of uh, complaint or something about the game, it's that, um, like you said, whenever you finish putting the puzzle together, whenever you finish turning the wheels, there's, like, a bit of text that pops up at the top. And as you turn the wheels the text changes. So it kind of like gives you this cool idea of like, you think you know what's happening with the text on top. And then like, you get the picture done and the text is now different than it was, you know, before you turn that last wheel or something. Um, And the text, although it is kind of like a chill, like you described a chill kind of puzzle, like narrative game. um, I have a feeling that the story is going to be pretty dark and impactful because that seems like the way it's going from like the little text I've read. And whenever you finish the puzzle, it's maybe like 
one or two sentences that are up there. It's not very much. Um, my complaint is that by the time I get to the next puzzle and finish assembling it and finish turning the dials and that text comes up, I've already kind of like forgotten what the text on the last screen said. So I have a hard time like keeping like a grasp on the story because like you spend about, you know, two minutes uh, fixing this puzzle. You get two sentences, you go to the next area, you spend a couple of minutes solving that puzzle, you get another sentence or two. And I mean, that seems like a really maybe kind of like boring complaint, like, oh, I can't remember one or two sentences, you know, for two minutes. But like whenever you're in this cycle and you're trying to like your brain is really focused on solving the puzzles, I find myself having a difficult time remembering the whole thread of the story. Um, I don't know if that's just me or if you've been experiencing that, but um, so far I like it. Um, but I just kind of am having a difficult time remembering the narrative as it goes along. That's an interesting um, <clears throat> bit of feedback. I, I kind of echo that, although my solution to that myself is like to completely ignore the story because I plan to just play the puzzles and forget that. Because just like you, it was really hard to keep in mind what, what had happened before because you're reading the text, which takes a second, but then you're really focused on getting the picture together and your brain just really focused on that. And you for, it's, it's kind of hard to, to juggle the two because, I mean, up until the point I've seen, they don't really, like the story doesn't affect what you're doing in the puzzles and the puzzles don't really affect the story. It seems like two separate tracks. Excuse me. <clears throat> so what I'm doing is I'm just doing the puzzles. And then once they're done, all of them are done. I will go back and just read the story all the way through. Because that way I'll be able to follow the narrative thread. And then I'll be able to remember what I just read. So I'm not even focused on the story right now. I'm going to just do the puzzles. So that's kind of how I plan to approach that. I have a different bit of feedback, though. Um, and I do like this, pu this game. I think it's um, very elegant, like you said. Uh, visually appealing. I think the design is really simple and uh, minimal, which is good. It's a good fit for iOS. So I, I will be chipping away at it uh, later today, and I, I, I believe that I will probably try to finish it. Uh, my bit of feedback is I kind of wish that they didn't tell you what the picture was supposed to be. Now, I mean, oh, I don't... Oh, that's interesting. That's good. Keep going. Yeah, I, I don't want, like, I, I'm not after, like, challenge or anything, but it's like, you know, because sometimes you look at these pictures and they're jumbled, and I'm like, whoa, I don't... I would have no idea what this was, except it told me it was a tree. And so now I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, which means that I'm not really thinking as deeply about the puzzle as I would have if I was trying to figure out, like, what it was supposed to look like. And so I wish there was a mode where you could either like turn off the word because I mean, once you know it's a tree or once you know it's a water droplet or once you know it's a dog, your brain automatically knows what that looks like. And so you're you're moving all the pieces ASAP to get it to look like what you want. Whereas if I didn't know what it was, I would be like, oh, well, maybe this this. Oh, no, it's not that. OK, maybe this, maybe this goes here. No, that doesn't go. And then, you know, you would get you would sink your teeth into it more and you would like really try to like um you know, pick it apart more and really think about it in a different way. So I wish that the words were not there or at least give me an option where I could turn the words off, like maybe leave those there for people who want an easier experience. Totally fine. No disrespect at all. Uh, sometimes I want a very easy experience. But in this case, in this case, I think I probably would appreciate it more and I would think about it more if there was no hint and I had to just like on my own figure out what the picture was supposed to be. So I, that's my only real bit of feedback. Otherwise, I, I like this game. You agree with yeah. that? Corey? What do you think? Yeah, that's a really smart um, thing to say because that had not occurred to me. But now that you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be smart. Like having to think about what you're making rather than the game telling you exactly what it is. And I feel like that would even help shape the narrative of the story even more because whatever you're making, 
that word will be in the like the two sentences that it gives you after like the story is complete and you've completed those couple lines. So that might, um, I don't know, lend itself to a little more intrigue with the story as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I don't say it, you know, as a, a huge criticism or anything. I think just from like, you know, there's a very limited interface, and you're really only doing kind of one thing with this game. So I think just for me personally, and maybe for you, maybe for others, if you could engage it on that level, like, what is what is this? I don't. It looks like maybe it's a dog. Maybe it's not a dog. Maybe it's a bird. Maybe it's a car. I don't know. Like if you thought about it, <laughs> for those extra levels, like I think you would squeeze a little bit more enjoyment out of it. It would be a little bit more engaging, I think. But um, I'm not. I'm not saying that as a negative. I do think this is a very interesting game. I do uh, enjoy it, and it seems like you like it too. Yeah, I like this. It's good. All right, right on. That is a thumbs up from both Brad and Corey for G30. And once again, thank you to Ivan Taitov, who was on Twitter, and he sent us these codes. Full disclosure, we are playing these with publisher or developer provided codes. Uh, but we liked it. So, right on. Good job, Ivan. And uh, maybe we'll check in on this later after we finish it up, and maybe we'll discuss the story. Or maybe we won't. We'll see. No promises. Uh, in the spirit of moving the show along, Corey, really quickly, you said you were playing Metal Gear Solid 4. What the fuck? Why? Why are you playing that? What ha- Tell us the story of this. Okay, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep this short because this is like the most non-essential part of the show. Um, I my love affair with Metal Gear Solid 4 runs deep. I literally got we talked actually we talked about this during the banter but i'm bringing it back around whenever i got my first credit card it was a target specific credit card i could only use a target literally got it when i was 19 just so i could buy a playstation 3 and buy metal gear solid 4 like i never thought i'd be that kind of guy that would like buy a console for a game and then i was that guy and i loved metal gear solid 4 i thought it was great i know it's kind of like a game that a lot of people in the series don't like um, but i loved it i beat it like eight times back to back whenever i first got it that that summer that it came out in like 2008 and um i haven't played it in several years maybe like three or four years and i i don't even know why i wanted to go back and play it Um, i must have seen something that reminded me of it or maybe played a game that reminded me of it and so i hooked the playstation 3 up and i went back and started in on one of my saves which was in the second act in the game and i've gotten almost all the way to the end again and i have to be honest with you if i had never played this game and were playing it for the first time when i was 29 uh versus like 19 i think i was when i first played it I would probably not like this game at all. Like, it, <laughs> I, I think the gameplay is good. And, like, at its time, the graphics and, like, you know, the the technology behind the game, sure, and like, the sure. Octocamo was, like, really top-notch. But, like, I... Like, I thought I knew what was going on in this story whenever I was 19, and now that I'm playing it at 29, I, and I'm actually watching all the cutscenes this time around, because, like, and I did, you know, the first, like, two times I played it, but then after that I was skipping them, because who has the time to sit through an hour cutscene every 15 minutes in the game, but now... Not me, that's right. Yeah, as, <laughs> as I'm revisiting it, I'm actually watching them, and, like, I don't know what the fuck is going on in this story. Like, I thought I knew what was going on whenever I was younger. I don't oh, know dude. how... <laughs> that is a very aging, gracefully thing to say. I knew what this meant at 19, and now that I'm 29, I have no fucking idea what this means. That is so aging, gracefully. Uh, like, I just can't, like... I, I, I'm sure that somebody who's, like, an expert could sit me down and explain it to me very, like, concisely and, you know, cleverly. But, like, everybody in the future has these nanomachines in their blood, and then there's, like, this government AI system that, like, controls them, but somehow... Liquid Snake gets control of the system and now nobody can shoot their guns. And it's just like, it's one of those stories where like, I feel like it's not airtight and you have to like really 
make a lot of concessions for what's going on in order for it to be believable. Like you really have to suspend your disbelief. Um, but the thing that I do think is still impressive about Metal Gear Solid 4 is um, how well it ties up like every storyline from all of the Metal Gear Solids that came before. Like I still think that's really, really impressive how it like ties everything together. And I also think that returning to Shadow Moses from Metal Gear Solid 1 um, in Metal Gear Solid 4 is probably one of like the best gaming uh, like moments I've ever had in my life where like you get back there it's such an iconic area for gaming and then it's like the snowstorm and the snow is sticking to his sneaking suit and it just looks so beautiful and it's so cool to go back to that place and be able to like explore it and have those memories and everything it's a it's a cool way of like revisiting an area without just playing like a remake of it or something like that um but, uh, I mean, I still like this game. I still stand by it, you know, as my 19-year-old self playing it so many times back-to-back -back and really, like, you know, looking in every nook and cranny. But, man, like, older me, I... I oh, man. Like, it's just older so hard wiser, to get on board Corey. with it. Older and yeah, wiser, Corey. Yeah, I guess. Like, older, wiser, I don't have as much time for all the fucking bullshit that's going on in the game. And the narrative is, like... The writing is so bad. Like, it's such terrible writing. Like, it's memorable and it's interesting. But just because something is memorable does not mean something is good. And that's, like, the perfect case here. I feel like this is, like, all of, like, the man babies who grew up with Star Wars who are now, like, pissed about the new Star Wars movies because they all feature, like, women and, like, black people in the main cast. Like... I feel like this is sort of like my feeling with that. Like I really stood by Metal Gear Solid 4, but now that I go back and play it, I'm like, actually this isn't as great as I remember. And I feel like a lot of those man babies who are mad at like the new Star Wars movies, like if they went back and actually watched the old ones, like, yeah, they're still good, but they would be like, you know, actually like these maybe aren't as great as I remember them being. I feel like that's sort of like my moment of reckoning with Metal Gear Solid now. Yeah, well, like you said, I mean, you make a really good point. Being memorable is not the same as being good, because if you have a piece of barbed wire shoved up your ass, it's really memorable, but that does not mean that it's good. So I agree with that. I do not like Metal Gear Solid 4. It's probably my least favorite game in the series, although full disclosure, I have not. Um, I did play the beginning part of Metal Gear Solid 5, which was that, what, what the fuck was it called? It was like, um, they broke it up into two parts. Ground Zeroes? Yes. Like Grand Zeroes. I actually had a pretty good time with Grand Zeroes mechanically. I thought that was pretty fun to play, uh, but I did not play Phantom Pain. I'm not sure that I ever will. Um, but I really, did, I strongly dislike Metal Gear Solid 4. And it, I mean, to me, it was like, if you, if the only way for this game to be enjoyable is to be one of those Metal Gear Solid, like, apologist slash conspiracist splash you know fanboys where you're on the wiki and you're making connections and you're explaining <laughs> things with like links to wikipedia and stuff it's like forget it like that's not it's not good writing i i i really dislike that game i dislike it from a story perspective i dislike it um from a mechanical perspective like the bones are good like how snake moves through the world and the different options you can do i remember you know that being impressed with that part of it but like, just the things that you do and the story progression and just the levels. I just remember it being really rotten. So I'm not going to waste any more time on it here because we are on a clock. But if anybody wants to read me uh, rip Metal Gear Solid for a new asshole, my review is up on Game Critics, and I don't <laughs> pull any punches on that one. So uh, feel free to look that up in the archives, and you will know exactly how I feel about it. And I do think it's really interesting that older, wiser Corey has much less bullshit tolerance. I would be, We should make this, like, a series. Like, you should pick all your favorite games. It should be like, it, it, we'll call it like destroying Corey's memories or something oh, like that. Oh, no. And then we'll, <laughs> we will, we will de deconstruct you as a person by, by tearing down all of your favorite games 
and realizing that they're all trash. That sounds like a very fun segment to me. What do no, you think? this is a dangerous line we're towing right now, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll come back to it. Um, moving on, moving on. I want to talk. Okay, so I'm very excited to announce to the uh, Soviet Games audience, I have played two fantastic games this week. I am just like so pleased that I don't know how it happened, just maybe just sheer luck or whatever, but like, man, I am just playing... Guaranteed, these two games are both going to be in my top ten at the end of this year. I guarantee oh. you, they're both they're both outstanding. Um, the first one, I have to give a very big apology to developer Asymmetric. It's called West of Loathing. Have you ever heard of it, Corey? I have not. So I've heard about this game a million times because I really dip pretty deeply into the indie scene, and I've seen it make the rounds. It was at PAX, I think, one or two years in a row. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and I'm just. And so I would be curious because I would hear so many good things about it. And then I would look at it and I'm like, <laughs> because I don't know if you want to Google it right now, but like, I'm, I'm going to tell you the graphics on this game, your character is literally, and I'm not kidding, literally a stick figure, like, like a kid would draw every piece of graphics. You're going to see every screenshot is like a black and white picture with a, like a hand drawn very simple like line drawing that you could do with a pencil and a paper. And so every time I looked at this game, I'm like, oh my God, like what is going on in this game? It looks like ass. Like I just, I don't, I, why is people saying this is good? I don't get it. And I, I would watch it at PAX and I'm like, I just, I don't see what's going on. I'm whatever. There's like 8,000 other games here. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> I admit it. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was stupid. I was judging the book by the cover. I should know better than to do that. Okay, so put all your misgivings about the graphics aside. Just forget about the graphics for a second. This game is fucking incredible, and it's really, really good, and it's really, really funny, and it's really, really smart. Uh, what this is, it's basically like an RPG, turn-based RPG, uh, but you don't have very many battles. There's very little battles in it. So don't, if you're like me and you don't want to do the grind or anything, don't worry about that. There's not, there's not much fighting going on here, but what it is, is an extremely detailed and nuanced world, which is kind of, I don't know if it's in the old West or just like a fictional version of the old West or something, but there's like cowboys, but there's also like, like the occult, there's like demon summoning and there's like goblins, which have their own language and there's ghosts and railroads and cactus and riding horses and stuff. I mean, so it's like, it's like old West mixed with the occult, which is actually one of my fucking favorite things. <laughs> so if I had known that I might have checked it out sooner, but man, it's really hard to get past those graphics unless you know how good this game is. Uh, also full disclosure, playing this with a code from the developer. So just full disclosure up front. So it's a Western RPG where you are literally a stick figure and you walk around and just like talk to people and do things. But what makes this game so good is the writing is just fucking, like, off the chain outstanding. It is so funny. It is so clever. Um, like, after I started this game on the Switch, which is where I'm playing it, which I think is a perfect fit for the Switch. It is perfect on the Switch. I start walking around, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm, whatever this fucking game is, whatever. And within, <laughs> like, the first three minutes, I was, like, already laughing, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was so funny, and oh, my God, that's so smart. And, like, I just... It won me over immediately. So... Even though the graphics are so simple, everything in this game is not simple. There are a lot of, like, depending on what character you pick, depending on what events you do, depending on where you go, what you see, what you're wearing, who you're with, there's, like, all these little triggers that you can have. So, like, you might go to a place and nothing happens, but if you come back under a different circumstance, there's, like, an event there, or there's maybe a different kind of event where there's multiple outcomes depending on 
what kind of person you are, like whether you're ruthless or not, or whether you're nice or not, or whether you're, you know, are you wearing a certain hat or not? And so like, there's all these like a million different things that can happen. And like almost everything in the environment has something attached to it. I was just so surprised. Like you would just touch like basically anything in the environment and it would either have like a little bit of funny dialogue attached to it, or it would be like part of some like multi-phase quest. And so the game on its surface seems so simple and so rudimentary because of the graphics. But then once you get into it, you realize like there is a lot going on under the hood and there's like a ton of little locations. They're all little bite-sized locations. So you start off in a town, there's a bunch of stuff to do in the town. And then once you set off into like the world, uh, there's like a billion little tiny little locations. Each one is only a couple screens big, which I think is perfect because it's not huge. There's not a lot of real estate to cover. They're getting right to the meat of the experience, giving you all the good stuff up front with no filler. And within each location, there's like one or two or three things to do, but it all depends on what have you done before? What, you know, what can you do? What are your abilities? What do you have equipped? And so like, there's all sorts of different things that can happen. Like there's crazy, crazy outcomes, crazy events. You never know what's going to happen with this game. I've been constantly surprised over and over and over. Every time I think I know what's going to happen, I I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like this crazy shit keeps happening. And you get these weird powers, these weird quirks. And it's just, this game is just like one giant box full of like absolutely delightful surprises. And I just keep opening more boxes and there's even more surprising stuff. Like it never runs out. Like it is like infinite surprises and they're all really, really good. I mean, the systems are super smart. They're super player friendly. It's a really easy game to play. It's perfect for bite-sized play sessions because each location is so small. You can get a couple quests done within five or 10 minutes and feel like you did something. The writing is just fucking brilliant, like really, really, really funny, genuinely funny. And I just, I love everything about this game. I wish I had played it a million years ago, although I'm actually glad I'm playing it on Switch because I think it is perfect for the Switch. Um, So I owe the developers a huge apology. I'm so sorry that I just, I turned my nose up at your game because of the graphics. I was so wrong. I, that was dumb of me. And now that I have actually played this game, it's easily one of the best things I've played all year, and now I finally understand why so many people were recommending it to me, because they were right, I was wrong, I was bad, 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 um, but this game is fucking fantastic. Corey, thoughts? Um, it sound, I was looking up screenshots while you were talking about it, and um, I don't think the game looks ugly, but I think it looks charming, um, and I guess this is sort of like a beauties on the inside lesson for for you and for everybody listening. Uh, but whenever you're describing this game, it sounds like <clears throat> like a million different games. Like whenever you were talking about, depending on what you're wearing, depending on what you're doing, I was like, okay, this sounds like a hitman. And then you were talking about like the like narrative. It'll like remember the stuff you do and what's going forward. And I was like, okay, are you playing the stick version of Detroit Become Human? Like, I don't really know what's going on here, but it sounds, uh, I don't know. It sounds, if it's like a turn-based RPG, it's probably not something I would play, uh, but it sounds charming and I'm glad that you enjoy it. It is, it is all of those things. I think it is as complicated and as nuanced and detailed as those things. And I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's ugly, but like it just it. So like, oh, so just to explain myself a little bit, um, <laughs> you know, like I see a lot of indies, dude. And like I, you know, when I go to PAX, especially and you just see a lot of indies that are just like really rough. And so, you know, I, I mistook these graphics, which I, I mean, I kind of have really warmed up to them over time now. Um, but, you know, I saw the stick figures and I'm like, OK, these guys probably I don't know anything about them. And I've seen like a thousand indies today. Maybe these guys don't, or, you know, maybe it's a one-man show or who knows what. And, you know, you just kind of assume, like, if they don't have any resources to put into graphics, that maybe there's not going to be a lot going on under the hood. And when you only have so many games you can look at in a day, you kind of make your 
your choices. What am I going to spend time with? What am I going to move on from? And so this was one that I definitely made the bad call on. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, I, it's hard. It is impossible to overstate like how great this game is. Like it is just, it's so complicated. So wonderful. Like in, in a good way though, like good way. I'm just every little thing you do that links back to something you've already done and uh, how one thing affects another and how the story unrolls. I'm just, I'm so, so impressed. I just think this game is absolutely fantastic. I have like literally like no criticisms of it whatsoever. I think it's perfect. Um, it's just really, really great. So um, don't be like me. Don't be swayed. Don't be put off by the stick figure graphics. Um, just get this game. I think it's like $11 on Switch. Oh, perfect Switch game. Price. Cheap, real cheap price. I guarantee this is one of the best things you will play all year, especially if you love um, games that are clever and make you laugh. Like the writing is just like, it is off the hook so good. Like so, so good. I laugh at literally every fucking thing they say. It's really good. So. West of Loathing, I love it. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Go buy it. $11. Get it. <laughs> uh, moving on to something that I'm very curious about, Corey. Uh, welcome to Hanwell. Uh, this popped up on the PSN store a couple weeks ago, and I had to go on like a vision quest in the desert to be able to track down the developer <laughs> because he was a hard guy to get a hold of. I, I kind of, I know we don't have time to talk about it on the show, but I want to know the story of like you tracking him down. Oh man, it was like I, you know, it was I had to look deep inside myself on a spiritual level. I had to send <laughs> energy out into the universe. It was tough because uh, usually, as uh, the editor of Game Critics, I just have to Google one time, find out where somebody is, send them a message, we get a code, no big deal. But man, this guy was like, it's like he didn't want to be contacted. I had to, you know, talk to a friend, and a friend talked to a friend, and they recommended me to like a <laughs> GeoCities webpage, and then there was like a broken link that I had to reconstruct, and then I had to call somebody on like a landline and. Oh, Jesus. It, it took a while to get a hold of this guy. So I really want to hear about this. Welcome to Hanwell. I don't know anything except that it's like an open world horror game. So why don't you uh, fill us in, sir? You left out the part where he actually sent me the code in in the mail in an envelope to play this game. <laughs> yeah, sealed envelope. <laughs> Had to sign for it and everything. <laughs> all right. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Hanwell. H-A-N-W-E-L-L. Tell us all about it. Yes, yeah, so I found this game in the true tradition of like once or twice a week, I'll go to the PSN store and I'll just look at the new games and I'll be like, okay, what's new? Because there's so much stuff coming out every week. Like I know Sony really celebrates their big like God of War and Detroit and their big um, releases, but there's so much stuff that hits the PSN every week. And I saw the, the tile for this game, Welcome to Handwell. It looks like a horror game from the get-go. The tile for it, like one of the big images is like, this like kind of like gross like bloody woman who's like hanging upside down and there's like a dude kind of like a scary looking dude like standing above her on the logo and I was like okay like sure a bloody woman hung upside down this looks right at my alley so I looked at it and it's like a, it describes itself as like a first person an open world first person um, horror game and I was like okay you're speaking my language and so luckily I was able to get a code to talk about it. And I was really, really excited to play this. And I was hoping that it would not be garbage because looking at the screenshots and some videos of it, it looked a lot like Condemned because it's uh, Condemned Criminal Origins, which is one of my absolute favorite survival horror games of all time. If you haven't played it, it was an Xbox 360 launch title. It's backwards compatible on the Xbox One. Go play it because it's incredible. Condemned um, is awesome. Love Condemned. Oh Scary as fucking shit. Is Holy so God. Good. Scary. 
Yes. And like, not only is it scary, but it has like amazing combat mechanics. And that's what I was looking at when I looked at this game, because Welcome to Handwell is first person. And like in the trailers and stuff, the character's holding like different kinds of melee weapons in his right hand. Like there's like a wrench and a crowbar and stuff. And I was like, oh, awesome. It looks just like Condemned. And like the people that he's fighting look kind of like these weird, like charred monster, like humanoid monster things. And I was like, all right, this looks like really up my alley. And so I started playing it. It's on PC. Like, first of all, it came out on PC like a year ago or something. So it's one of those games. Uh, I've been doing this a lot lately where, like, I've been playing those kind of, like, indie PC games that maybe didn't really find a big audience that have, like, come to, like, PlayStation 4, like, in kind of a weird port, kind of, like, north. Um, and, uh, and this is totally that case. So I started the game. And, like, I don't know. I, I know, like... I know developers don't have a lot of money. Literally four people made this game. Like Nathan Seedhouse is the main guy. Um, there's like a composer and there's like two other guys. Like literally four people made this game. And I know that they probably didn't have a big budget and I know that making games is hard. But like one thing that I've noticed whenever these weird PC ports come to PlayStation 4 or to consoles in general, and this is the same thing that happened with North, same thing happened with this game. Um, you, you start the game and there's literally not even like you can pause the game, which is good because in North you couldn't even pause the game and this game you can pause it, but there's literally not even an options menu. There's no control oh settings. Oh there's dear. no options menu. There's, there's a gamma screen. So you can look at like the brightness of the, of the, uh, environment, but it doesn't even have a slider to adjust the brightness. Like it literally just shows you what? a screen so you can like adjust what? it on your TV. I know, I know. And, like, I know, I get it. Like, developers don't have, you know, a lot of time, a lot of money. They're probably working on a lot of things. I mean, obviously, this guy's a busy guy because it took you a while to get a hold of him, and he's not really that responsive. But, um, I mean, like, if you're going to bring your game from a PC to a console, put a fucking options menu in it at least. Like, give me some things. Because the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way as soon as I started playing this game is that it does not feature an inverted Y-axis control. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, which is fucking bananas because the PC version has a Y inversion for the mouse. And I don't know who would do that because I use standard inversion on a mouse and keyboard when I'm doing that. But on a controller, I invert the Y axis on the right thumbstick every time. And so that was like my first big thing. I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be one of these games. They just slapped it on the PlayStation 4. It doesn't even have an options menu. It doesn't have inverted Y axis. Like, I'm going to have a really hard time playing this. But I have to eat my words a tiny bit because I really like this game. Ooh, um, surprise yeah. twist. Surprise yes. twist. Twist ending. So this is one <laughs> of those games that falls under that sort of like indie PC to console category where it's really hard for me to recommend it because it's like not a super duper polished experience, but I really like it. So just to give like an overview of the game instead of just complaining about its lack of an options menu. The game is called Welcome to Handwell. It's a first person horror game. It's about a guy that the story is like paper thin in this game, but that doesn't really bother me that much. You play as a guy who like wakes up in a morgue, which is kind of weird. Like he's literally in one of those like, like wall cabinet things and you like bust out of it at the beginning of the game. And then you're in this like gross morgue. And for this game to have been developed by four people, one of whom was the composer, who I don't even think did anything, like, on the game itself, I feel like this game is beautiful. Like, it it looks really good, and, like, the environments are really creepy. The lighting design is really great, and I'm just super impressed that, like, literally, like, three actual developers, you know, minus the composer, made this game because it's really beautiful. 
So you you start out in the morgue, and then you uh, you go through this kind of like outlast sort of chase sequence. Which at first I was like, oh my god, it's going to be one of those games where like all you do is like hide from enemies, and you have to like wait for them to do their patrol patterns, and it's going to be really lame, and it's going to be a bunch of chase sequences because I don't really like outlast. But luckily, it's not that either. This game just kept surprising me. So you get out to the city, and whenever you exit the morgue. Um, it kind of oddly, this game reminds me of a lot of different games, which is something that I love about it. And the first game it reminded me of was, uh, out of all the things out there, it reminded me of Fallout, because whenever you exit the um, the morgue, which is kind of like a bunker, if you will, or a vault, it just kind of like puts you in this in this neighborhood, like this big city. And I mean, it's not huge. It's not like Grand Theft Auto big, but it's like, you know, it takes probably like 20 minutes to walk from one corner to the other corner of the map. And it doesn't really tell you anything. It's just kind of like, all right, go explore. Like, we're not going to give you an objective marker. We're not going to give you, like, a pointer or a compass or anything. And the town looks a very Silent Hill-esque. And so you're just kind of, like, walking around this kind of, like, empty, deserted, kind of gross town, um, trying to figure out what the fuck to do. And the other game that it reminds me of, which is, like, a major throwback, is... Um, Friday the 13th on the Nintendo NES. Are you familiar with that game, Brad? Yes, I I hate that game, but I have played it. Yeah, why? (laughs) what what part of it reminds you of that? Well, it reminds me of that because in Friday the 13th, basically there's like two default things you're doing. You're either side-scrolling through the camp areas or you're in houses. You can like enter any camp house and... They're, like, you don't know when Jason Voorhees is going to show up in the game. And so sometimes you go in the house and it's, like, kind of a relatively safe experience and you get to look around. Sometimes you go in the house and, like, he's there and he's ready to attack and it's, like, really scary. I stay, Like, Friday the 13th is not a great game and it's really fucking old, but I stand by it being, like, a really terrifying experience. And this game reminds me of that because you're just, like, exploring this kind of, like, old, like gross town and you can there's like certain houses you can walk in that really don't have like a lot of story connectivity but you can go in them and they all have their own unique like visual layout and there's always like kind of one like interesting thing that's going on in every house and um it just like makes me think of that because you're either exploring the town or you're going in the houses but the main thing of the game is that there's six like dungeon quote-unquote areas and they're all really stereotypical for horror games like one of them as a power plant, one of them is a hospital, one is like this private school looking area, um, there's like a prison. So it's basically like any like tropey level you can think of from right, a survival right, horror game, right. they have it here. But the point of the game is that the whole city's on lockdown because there's some doctor that's been doing like weird experiments, because of course there's a doctor that's been doing weird experiments. And the town is now populated with these things called anomalies. And by anomalies, they basically mean monsters. There's like Uh, like a charred like person that like crawls and attacks you and there's like one that's kind of still on fire and there's like a witch lady who like can kind of like teleport around you and it's really hard to kill her and I don't like the witch enemies at all Um, and there's also this like blight like fog thing that if it hits you your like vision goes out for a few minutes and you have to use this weird like echolocation thing to look around which is weird but it's there um And you have to go into each of these dungeons um, and you're trying to get pieces of this identification card from this like woman who worked for the council, quote unquote, who you think is dead, but you're not really sure. And once you get all the six identification cards and put them together to make one, you actually can get into the council. And the council is this like 
really like hoity-toity, like science-centric, um, like overseer of the community where like the mayor lives and the doctor lives and they're the ones that did the experiments and put the city on lockdown. So the city is kind of like this experimental ground for these people to just kind of like fuck around and then lock down the city at will. And it's impressive because not only does the game look great, um, the game actually has a day and night cycle, which reminds me of Castlevania II, Simon's Quest on the NES, and it has weather cycles. So like sometimes it's foggy, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's rainy. And it's just like all this really impressive stuff that I feel like didn't necessarily need to be there, but is there and it makes the game richer for it. And it's great in its survival horrorness because like it's not, it doesn't do the dead space thing where it's constantly like, every door you walk by, like, an enemy pops out of it, or, like, every dead body you walk by, like, it jumps up and attacks you, like, it paces its horror moments really well, and it's, um, and it's really, uh, I don't know, it just, like, paces them well into a way where most of the horror moments actually really scared me in the game, and a lot of, like, the sophistication and level design was unexpected because it's an indie game, and also because it's an indie game, I was never quite sure, like, what the game was going to throw at me because you have weapons that you can find on the streets like crowbars or axes or, you know, uh, tire irons or whatever. And, um, and you, but in order to go into the dungeons, you have to drop your weapon before you go in because they won't let you into the building with a weapon because they're supposed to be safe zones. So when you're in the dungeon, you're, you're weaponless. So like, maybe you think that there aren't going to be enemies in there, but sometimes there are enemies in there and you have to like run from them, but it's not, it doesn't happen often. And it doesn't happen in like an outlasty way. Like it's paced really well. And so it's just one of those games where like, I'm always like looking over my shoulder and I'm always really scared that something's going to be around the next corner and every door I open, I'm scared of what's going to be on the other side. And if a door is locked, I breathe a giant sigh of relief because that's one less door that I have to open to see what's terrifying on the other side. And I mean, there's definitely some downsides of the game. Like the weapon system is weird because you have to drop the weapons before you go in the buildings. And whenever you exit the building, your weapon is gone. It's no longer on the sidewalk. So you have to like look around for one. There's no inventory to holster your weapon. You either have one in your hand or you drop it. If you die, you, you lose your weapon and you have to like go back and find it on your dead body, but so, or not on your dead body, but where you died and sometimes it's not there anymore. So like the weapon system is weird. The combat system is not great. You have like an attack button and a block button, but it's not nearly as like nuanced or as interesting or as visceral as like condemned, but it's enough. But it really feels like Silent Hill to me, like a pretty close thing to Silent Hill because the town is foggy, it's populated by enemies, but they're not abundant. And a lot of them you can just kind of like run from if you want to, like you're rarely forced into a combat situation, which is great. Um, but I just, I, I just was very pleasantly surprised by this game and it's totally janky and it's hard to recommend. If I had to recommend it, I would say to play the PC version because He's made a lot of updates to the PC version. It seems to be running a lot better. It, you know, you don't have to worry about the non-Y-axis inversion. Um, and I, I've been, like, word vomiting for, like, 15 minutes about this game. But I like it. I like it a lot. And I, I don't know what else to say. Do you have any questions or anything? Um, just a couple of really quick questions. So the enemies, these are not, like, unique enemies. Like, you were kind of describing the different... Like the fog guy and the witch. I mean, it's not just like one of each of those enemies. Like there's multiple of each one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, so, I mean, it all sounds pretty good, I guess, if you are into the horror game and stuff. I mean, I assume you finished it. I did finish it and it had like the worst final boss battle ever in the history of video games, maybe. But okay, I finished so it. That, 
that's not that's not reassuring. <laughs> uh, and and without spoiling it, I mean, did you feel like it wrapped up at the end? Did you get like a good narrative experience, or was it just more about being in this in you know the moment to moment experience? I think the story tried to wrap itself up, but because the story was so thin, um, the ending was pretty tropey and it was pretty dumb story wise. But the gameplay and the intrigue kind of made up for what was lacking in the story for me. Okay, so I wasn't sure if this was going to get me in. I think I'm going to probably hold off because I'm not up for scary games. And this actually, there's actually a, a Cthulhu game coming up where you, it's kind of similar to this, where you're like in the city and you're walking around and stuff. So I may save my very, very limited horror mojo for perhaps yeah. that one. Um, yeah, I don't um, think you would like this game. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to hold off. But it does sound interesting, <laughs> and I do give those guys congratulations for... Um, putting something like this together with such a small team. And then, you know, it seems like they won you over despite the little problems it had. So, I mean, that's got to have, uh, got to have something to it then. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it, I, I just, I don't know. There's something special about this game that makes me really like it. And I don't know, it's hard to put into words because so much of it is kind of lost in like a weird kind of indie jank situation. But I don't know. I feel like it feels like a true sort of like, rebuttal of a lot of triple a horror games like outlast where it's like constantly hiding or constantly using night vision or constantly running from enemies like this game just kind of like lets you explore the city it kind of doesn't really tell you what to do it doesn't have a lot of direction which is kind of problematic i did have to look up some online guides a couple times to know where to go um but it's i don't know i just i just like this game i was so i was i opened it and i thought it was going to be garbage and i was hoping for the best and like as I kept playing it, I was like, okay, this game's like really winning me over. And I mean, I actually finished it. So that's saying something about, um, you know, my ability to play it and like it. And I, I just, I like this game. I think it's good. I love that. I love when that happens when you play some game that you just, you know, you think it's going to be bad and it ends up being really good. Or maybe it's got problems, but it still has like that heart or it has that energy or yeah. something about it that really wins you over. I love when that happens. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love when that happens. So. Uh, maybe not the game for me, but it sounds like a pretty cool game for people who have a higher horror tolerance, and it sounds like maybe maybe worth checking into, although, like you said, maybe the PC version so you can switch your controls around. Uh, come on, guys. you got to put a fucking menu in there. That's <laughs> you got to do, like, the bare minimum. A menu is, is just bare minimum. But otherwise, sounds good. Thank you for covering that game, Corey. And unfortunately, I have some bad news for listeners. I, we're out of time. Oh, no. I have... I have to go to work, so I cannot talk about my second game. I do apologize. I didn't mean to uh, give you guys uh, good game blue balls on the show here, but uh, <laughs> I just literally don't have any time to talk about it. I was going to talk about Vampire, uh, V-A-M-P-Y-R, coming out from Don't Nod. Uh, this is a very uh, heavily anticipated game. Uh, Don't Nod is putting a lot of resources into it. And I got a review code from the... Actually, I'm not doing the review. Dan Weisenberger is doing the review, but they sent an extra code along so I could talk about it on the show, which I have now failed to do. But I will talk about it next week. Um, I will say, <laughs> this game's awesome. It's really, oh. really, really good. I It came out even better than I was expecting, and I was really hoping that it was going to be good. So I do apologize, folks. I literally have to leave, like, two minutes ago. But... Uh, we will talk about it next time for sure. Hopefully I will have it done by then. I'm not sure if I will because it seems a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Much larger game than I was expecting from Don't Nod. So um, sorry I can't talk about it. I got to go. But 
definitely a cool fucking game. I really like it a lot. And if you are, I mean, just, just real briefly before I go, I mean, the best way to kind of nutshell it is if you took the world of, uh, Bloodborne, if you were in Yarnum, that spe- that specific town and Yarnum was in world war one, and then there <laughs> were lots of people to talk to so that there was actually a story that you could comprehend and follow. That's basically what this game is. So if that game sounds good to you, check this game out. I've I've been loving it. I cannot put this game down. Is uh, it is it like a like a I I I've seen screenshots for it, but I, is it like a third person action game? Like what is it? It is a third person action game which has actually surprisingly brutal combat, but there is also like a ton of like character stuff and a ton of dialogue and RPG stuff going on. Skill trees to manage. There's like different narrative branches. People can die, and if the wrong people die, it fucks up your whole world. Oh, and like, so it's like Mass Effecty in that way. It is very Mass Effecty, but oh, with vampires awesome. in World War One, and it's really dark. And it's it's good. It's so fucking good. It's really good. But I can't talk about it because I got to go to work. So <laughs> sorry, folks. I'm I sorry got... I rambled about Handwall for. No, time. man. It was it was it was Mission Impossible to cover more than four <laughs> games in 90 minutes anyway. So uh, I promise I will talk about it next week for sure. But in the meantime, I give Vampire a huge recommendation. I love it so much so far. Not done with it, but I literally can't stop playing it. I've I've been like thinking about it all the time. I really really dig it. So um, all right, I got to go. I got to go to work. Thank you for listening, folks, and stay tuned past the. Music. Let's do the closing thing real here. Da 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 da. End of the show. They know this already. Uh, email us so video games podcast gmail dot com. Check it out. At ga- check this. Uh, leave comments for us there or at Game Critics after we post a show. Hit us up on Twitter at so video games. Uh, my handle Brad Galloway B R A D G A L L A W A Y on Twitter. Corey, your Twitter handle. Uh, Corey Motley C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Okay, great. Sorry to run. I got to go five minutes late. And this is the end of So Video Games, et cetera, et cetera. We'll be back next week. This is bye from Brad. (laughs) And bye from Corey. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. All right, dude. Cool. So what you been up to, man? Um, well, as I teased to last week, I bought a brand new camera a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yes, yes. Let's let's get into that, Corey. That was quite a substantial purchase. Um, well, there's a little bit more to it. And I actually had meant to bring this up on a show like weeks ago because you and I had very briefly discussed it. But uh, this can be our official... Um, aging gracefully segment for this week. Um, All right. Sounds good to me. Because I, the camera I bought um, was, it's like a, it's Nikon's flagship crop sensor camera, which is not their best camera, but it's like in the realm of digital. Did you, you say a crop sensor camera? Yeah. It's like in, in the. Does that mean when you're. You're driving what? by a field of corn, like the alarm starts going off, and it's like, me, 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 pictures of corn, go. No. No. <laughs> That is not. I know that's what totally it means. stupid, but like, what, is, what the fuck is a crop sensor camera? Well, it's like the farmer's favorite. So um, to sum that up as kind of elegantly as I can, basically in digital photography there are two. Actually, there's like more than two, but whenever it comes to um, what they call DSLRs or digital single lens reflex cameras, they come in generally two types, and one is a they call it a crop sensor camera, and one is a full frame camera. And basically, 
The crop sensors are like the less good versions of the two, although the gap is very close between them. And a crop sensor basically like the sensor that sees everything you take a picture of and sort of like processes the image is smaller, as you might guess by the word crop in there. It does not stand for corn or wheat or anything like that. It literally means like cropped as in like smaller. So because crop sensors are smaller and they take less, I guess, like technology and materials to build, they're generally um, cheaper and less good than full frame cameras. And I've been using a crop sensor camera my uh, for the past like two to three years with all the pictures I've been taking. And the shitty thing about if you decide to make the upgrade from crop sensor to a full frame camera, um, more often than not, you have to buy all new lenses for a full frame camera because full frame lenses uh, or crop sensor lenses do not work with full frame cameras. So I thought, okay, well, fuck that. Like I already have lenses that I love that I use all the time. I'm just going to stay with a crop sensor camera. Plus they're a little bit cheaper. So I bought Nikon's, uh, their flagship crop sensor camera, which is called the D 500, um, their flagship full-frame camera is like $6,000, and there's not a chance in hell I would spend that much on a camera. And also, you have to think oh, about... Oh, give it time. Give it time, I mean, Corey. maybe in like a decade or something. But you also have to think about buying all new lenses on top of that, and lenses are not cheap. I mean, the cheapest lens is maybe like 150 but they go up very, very quickly because cheap lenses are obviously cheap for a reason. Because, you know, photography is kind of like a you-get-what-you-pay-for kind of situation, but... Sure, sure. The reason why I wanted to bring this up as an Agent Gracefully segment is because in order to buy my camera, um, I was thinking about this long and hard for several weeks, as a matter of fact. And uh -oh. I'm almost uh -oh. I'm almost 30. I do not have a credit card. So my oh, only no. my only credit comes from a really old Target only credit card that I used to have whenever I was like 19 yeah. and my student loans and I defaulted on my student loans for a while. So obviously that doesn't look great for me. Um, and I also did not pay off my Target credit card in a very timely manner. So I wasn't sure if I would even be able to get a credit card right now. And luckily I did. I applied for one with my bank. Um, so I had my very first credit card. I got a, my opening credit limit was $6,000, which was a lot more than I was expecting. And I did not, you know, spend all that in one place. But basically I used the credit card to buy the camera and now I'm paying the camera off through my credit card through my bank. So um, I remember briefly telling you that I was considering getting a credit card and you did not seem thrilled about that. And I know that you are older and wiser and have much more knowledge about the world and finances that I do. So we can open, <laughs> open this up for discussion about credit and about big purchases and about whatever you want to talk about regarding this. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'm 100% anti-credit cards. I used to have a bunch. I got in a bunch of trouble because my mom and dad were terrible with money. They didn't really teach me anything about how to manage money or what was a good way to use your money to buy things or how to, you know, just just anything. They didn't know anything about it. Uh, so I grew up having to kind of find out, like, on my own, and I got into some trouble with some credit cards uh, early on in life. And I after I got out of that trouble, which took a long time, and was extremely painful for many years. I cut all my credit cards. I have zero credit cards, none whatsoever. Um, and I, everybody I talk to, I just recommend don't do it because 
like the whole credit rating thing is bullshit because all, all a credit rating is, it just means how regular are you with your payments? How much money can people get out of you? So it's not like, it doesn't mean like if you're really responsible or anything, or if you're a good citizen, <laughs> it just means, oh, this is a person who spends a lot of money and then they pay their payments back. And the reason that's good is because as everybody knows, and I'm sure that you know, you know, whenever you get a credit card, it's got the credit card uh, interest rate on it. And so if you can pay those in with regularity over time, the credit cards will earn a lot more money from you than what you actually paid. So like, you know, you know, you paid your $2,000 for your lens. If you are a good little credit card customer and you pay the minimum balance, you'll be paying that off for like, you know, whatever, however many years, depending on your interest rate. And you'll eventually pay, you know, $4,500 instead of 2000 And so that's what makes you a good customer. And that's what the credit score is all about. So... The whole, I mean, it's, it all gets back to this whole interconnected bullshit of capitalism and American society and how everything is money-centric, and we are just little meat machines, you know, used to fuel <laughs> the money monster here in America. So, I mean, my only advice to you would be, number one, only use it for emergencies. I know you bought your lens and stuff and all that, but, like, it's so tempting to just be like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just get this one thing. It's, it's no problem. I'll just pay off on the credit card later, and it's not a big deal. And it just it adds up so quickly. And once that interest kicks in, it's just like it's so much money every month. And you end, you end up being like a lot better off simply putting that money aside yourself and just buying it you know, with cash or just at one time on a debit card rather than doing a credit card. Because then you will save all the money that you would have spent on interest. So hopefully your bank gave you a good interest rate. I mean, I'm hoping it's pretty low because there's a lot of really predatory cards out there. Like, do you know how much your interest rate is? Um, I do, but I already forgot. I think it's like, I know it's not super low. I think it's like mm, like 19 or 20% right now. Oh, that's, I mean, there's worse, but that's pretty bad. Yeah. So I would like, if I were you, I would pay that off ASA. I mean, use it for emergencies. Like, you know, you're driving down a road. You, you, I don't know, you drive through some, I don't know, dead cows and all four of your tires <laughs> go flat or something, and you don't have, like, $700 worth of cash or tires. I mean, that's a good that's a good get-out-of-jail-free card, and, you know, you can pay it off ASAP or whatever. But, like, man, it's just so tempting uh, to just think, oh, one more purchase, no big deal. Oh, well, I don't have the money now, but I really want this thing. No big deal. And, like, it just adds up so fast. It is so deadly, and at 20%. <laughs> 19% holy shit that's a lot of money dude yeah so, well ooh. the good news is um because I you know thought about this a lot and I researched different cards and I talked to my mom about it before I did the whole thing but the good news about the card I have is it's interest free for a year so oh good yeah good. that's like I mean in most credit cards that I looked up have like a big like introductory you know like interest free period you know sometimes it's a year sometimes it's six months or sometimes you know you get like X cash back on X amount of whatever you spend for the first like year or two years or something. So the good news is I owe no interest right now. Um, not until I guess it would be like um, April or I guess it's probably May of next year will be whenever that kicks in. And I've only purchased two things on my credit card so far, a camera and a tank of gas because I have gas like rewards on it. And I've already, I've only had the credit card for like three weeks and I've already made two payments on my camera. So I am definitely planning on getting it paid off before the interest kicks in next year. And then I'm not fingers crossed not going to be one of those people who just like uses the credit card all the time because like I don't I don't need to like I have I'm not like rich by any stretch of the imagination but I generally have enough money to be like pretty comfortable so I don't see myself needing to uh to use it for stuff like you know regularly 
Well, that's really good. You know, I mean, American society is all about living beyond your means because people in America get paid so little and we are constantly barraged. Like everywhere you turn by images of people who are like living larger than you. And so we are just like trained every single day to like want things that we can't afford or, or that we don't even really need or that we probably wouldn't even really want. But we want to keep up with the Joneses or we just get jealous because someone's got something. And, you know, credit cards are the answer. They get everybody in debt. You know, we pay all of our money. They just bleed us out dry. And then it fuels, like, uh, you know, the economy of banking and credit cards, which doesn't help anybody except the bankers. So it's just like this really vicious, vicious cycle that people need to break. And, you know, I think you're doing it right. If you can, even if you're not rich, I mean, I'm not rich by any means either, but if anybody is able to live on a budget, I mean, I know it's tough in these times. I don't mean this to sound like I know it all or anything, because I've definitely struggled with money myself. I'm not not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but like if you can get a good budget and stick to the budget and just resist that temptation to get that new shiny or whatever, you're going to be way better off just buying things that you want with cash or, you know, on a debit card all at one time rather than doing the credit. But man, they, they tempt you so hard with that credit. There's so many cool things to buy, so many neat things and so many things your friends have that you don't have and you just want to buy it and oh, it's so easy to get a credit card and oh, you know, the first year is free and that's no big deal and I'll, no interest on that and then you buy and buy and buy and then before you know it, you're fucking paying like, you know, just way more money than you can afford and then it's, and it's yeah, it's, it's not good times. It's awful. Well, hopefully I will uh, not uh, be a bad boy with my credit card and I will keep everything safe. Well, I'll give you a good tip that worked for me. I mean, I'm not saying that you're as weak as I am when I was a kid, because I was pretty weak when I got my credit cards, <laughs> not knowing. I was pretty poor growing up, and my mom didn't, you know, like I said, my mom and dad didn't teach me jack shit about money, so, like, when I got some credit cards, it seemed like a bunch of easy money really quick, and I would always carry them with me, and I would buy just, like, a bunch of stuff, and it was just really, really bad. I learned my lesson pretty hard. Um, but, I mean, my, a good tip uh, that worked for me, not saying that you need to do this, but maybe some of our listeners might, you know, might be benefit from this. I found that if I left my credit cards at home, it really helped a lot because <laughs> when I would go out, before I got bitten really hard, I would see stuff and I would be so tempted to just die for the credit card. But if I left it at home, it wasn't with me and I wasn't going to drive home and drive back. So, like, it really stopped a lot of, like, impulse purchases or a lot of stuff like, you know, and then once I got home and I thought about it for like half an hour, I'd be like, ah, I'm glad I didn't buy that because I really didn't need that. And I don't want to end up paying so much more money. So, like, I think that, I mean, in that sense, you're not going to have it in case you ever get like, you know, like I said, drive through a field of cows and have four flat tires. <laughs> but it does like super, super cut down on impulse purchases. So that would be a big tip that really helped me a lot. And maybe some of our listeners will benefit from that as well. So if you need to get one. I don't recommend it, but if you do, leave it at home. Don't buy anything stupid with it. So. <laughs> Excellent. I will keep that in mind. All right. How is, just just really quickly before I move on, how is the how is the camera, by the way? Um, I've only used it in a couple of scenarios. The kind of shitty thing was I bought it and then literally like didn't use it for a week. I just like sat around with it. But I have some stuff coming up that I know I wanted to use it for. Like I shot a skate jam last weekend, and that was my big kind of like action test run for it. Um and so far, it's good. I mean, I really like it. Um, it uh, like the the big thing about this camera is that it's kind of like geared toward like uh, like wildlife and action photographers. So it's pretty up my alley as far as that goes because like the autofocus sensors and that kind of stuff in it are a lot like sharper and a lot faster reacting, and there's just more like autofocus options in it than on my old camera, and um, it's a lot more. Like, the weird thing is, like, there's a lot of buttons on this camera, like, physical buttons, and everything, like, there's a lot of, 
buttons on this camera that existed within like menus on my old camera where I had to like go into like, you know, the display menu and like click through stuff. And it's just kind of a weird thing to get used to because I'm like, oh yeah, I had to go through these four menus to get it on my old camera. But now to switch X setting, I like hold this button down and press this dial this way and then that does it. So it's kind of difficult to get used to, but um, I really like it so far. Um, the focus is really fast and sharp, which is pretty much what I need. It can also shoot so quickly. My old camera could only take about three frames a second in continuous fire, and this one takes like nine or ten. So I have to be really careful about overshooting, um, but at least I know that I will always, uh, you know, fingers crossed to get the shot that I want because I can just put it on continuous fire in an action situation yeah. and hope that one of those like 10 frames per second in the middle uh, is something that is good. So it's just like that aspect is really intense. It's like going from like shooting a pistol to having like a machine gun in your hand and like, you know, you can't fire one shot if you want to, like pretty much every time. I press the shutter button down in continuous mode. It takes like three frames pretty much with like the slightest finger touch, but, um, but I like it. I, uh, when I go out of town, I have a business trip coming up in a couple weeks and I'm actually going, instead of flying back to new Orleans, I'm flying to Phoenix because Patrick's sister lives there and he's going to be there. And we didn't plan these trips this way, but it just kind of serendipitously worked out this way. Um, I'm going to go, but I know some parkour guys in Phoenix. So, I'll be really uh, excited to, I wanted to have the camera for that too. So that way, whenever I go there, I can like take better pictures of them hopefully and like test it out with like, you know, new dudes and a new parkour scenario. So hopefully that'll be good too, but I will be reporting back on that in the future and probably about three weeks whenever we record um, a few shows out. Right on, right on. Well, let's move on really quickly because we are actually on a time limit today. Just as a quick... um Heads up to listeners. I mean, you, you obviously already know because we, you heard the show, but we're in the time loop. But, you know, uh, I have another long work day, so we've got a limited uh, amount of time here. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something I don't remember what I was going to say. Anyway, oh, 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 I was just going to give a shout out to your Instagram because I just recently got back on Instagram last week. And I don't use it as much as Twitter, but I, I have been trying to dip into it at least once a day. And some of your shots are pretty fucking awesome, dude. So I, <laughs> We don't got to go in here and give you a whole bunch of praise. I'll do that later. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if anybody listening hasn't been on Instagram or is not on Instagram, um, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's kind of weird because, like, it doesn't function the same way as Twitter, so I'm still, like, in the learning curve. But I have been really appreciating your shots. Uh, you got some pretty badass shots up there. So I, <laughs> I, I recommend anybody out there check out Corey's Instagram. Let's move on really quick. I want to talk about one thing and then let's talk about some games because we are on a clock here. Uh, we said last week that we were going to compare notes really quickly on movies because last time you had seen Deadpool 2 and I hadn't. Now I've seen it. And I had seen Avengers 2 and you hadn't. So now you have. Let's talk about them real quick. Do we want to do like a major spoiler section? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Plus, this will be like the very, very, very end of the show. So totally. if people want to back the out. dead last thing in the show. Perfect, perfect. Okay. You want to go first about Avengers? You want me to go first about Deadpool? What do you want to do? Um... Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I'll go first about Deadpool, and then you can talk about it. Okay, okay. Okay, so I saw Deadpool. Your evaluation was uh, it was fine, a little disappointed, but it was fine, or something like it was. <laughs> there was it was like a compliment sandwich. It was like okay, something less savory, and then it was okay. So, but you seemed like you were kind of okay on it. I saw it after, like the week after you saw it, and I liked the first Deadpool. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't like head over heels about it, but it was way better than I thought it was going to be. So I will, I will definitely admit that. And I was in the mood for something light and funny, so we went to go see it. 
I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it wasn't like um, the best movie in the world, but it totally kept me entertained the whole time that we were watching. And there was definitely a few a few points at which I thought was pretty funny. Um, I saw those jokes that you mentioned about dubstep, and I just kind of chalked that up to like Deadpool himself just having a preference for dubstep. I don't know if that's a comics reference or not. And maybe I'm not sure. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, I got that. But, um, I mean, other stuff was pretty funny. I mean, I really liked Domino a lot. I thought she was super cool. I would be up for a Domino movie just by herself. I mean, I think she could probably carry a film. Um, and if they do an X-Force movie with Deadpool plus the gang, I think that would be pretty neat. And, uh, I thought the sections where he was with, um, his first incarnation of X-Force was pretty funny. Like there was just like the normal guy who had like no powers, but he just wanted to come along for fun. And, uh, Brad Pitt being the invisible guy was <laughs> bizarre and out of nowhere and uh, how all those guys died was pretty hilarious but I mean overall I mean pretty good like if you liked the first movie you will like the second one I did want to ask you your opinion though because when Deadpool 2 and again this is the spoiler I don't know if we were clear about that this is the spoiler section folks I've already spoiled some <laughs> I felt like we had said that but maybe we didn't give enough of a spoiler warning spoiler warning um but when the movie starts and his, I really liked him and his girlfriend in the first movie and she dies and I was like groaning so hard. I was like, what the fuck? Are we not over like fridging girls to get the guy's story to advance? And I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is so bad. And I was really unhappy about that uh, because I thought she was a good character. I thought they had a good dynamic and I was like, I, I don't want to see any more movies where the guy's story has to happen because his girlfriend dies. Like that's been done to death it is the easiest cheapest most lazy trope we can move past that <laughs> especially especially in this day and age like we should totally there are other reasons to do things so i was really disappointed with that but i wanted to ask your opinion when the movie ends um and again spoiler section folks um cable's little time travel device gets fixed and then you know like at the ending credits montage or whatever like it shows deadpool going back and he brings her back to life. So I was going to ask you, did you think he brought her back to life for real? Or do you think that was just kind of like a gag reel sort of a thing? Um, as far as I understand it, and this is only from like one friend of mine telling me this. So I don't know if it's like super like authentic or factual. But um, allegedly because he brings her back at the end of the movie, um, I like it basically renders the entire movie pointless. Like because he went back and like reversed everything that happened that was bad in the movie because he brought the X-Force back and he brought his girlfriend back and he apparently the next movie in the series is going to be an X-Force movie. So like, I guess they kind of like had to bring them back in order for the X-Force movie to happen. So like, it's kind of like a funny joke, like, a, oh, ha ha, like this whole two hours of a movie happened, but it really was pointless because we went back and fixed everything in the time machine which is a very seems like a very like Deadpool kind of thing to do. But as far as I know, that is like canon now. Like basically the movie is pointless and they brought everybody back and now they're going to move on with everybody alive now. Okay. Well, that would be fine to me because I didn't want her to stay dead and him going back and bringing her back to life. I felt like was it went it went a little bit towards fixing that because I was really upset about that um, from a moral perspective and from a writer's perspective and just from a moviegoer's perspective but okay so i was i was like okay is this a joke is it real like what's going on i couldn't really tell and i also really really did appreciate very much deadpool going back and killing his his he killed himself as when he went to take the green lantern movie <laughs> and then killed himself when he was like that fucked up deadpool that nobody knew was deadpool in that wolverine movie which i thought was hilarious i thought that was really funny 
and awesome of Ryan Reynolds to go back and just admit, yeah, mea culpa, those were fucking terrible, and I was terrible, and this is this is all bad. But now that things are better, gonna erase that from history. I, I just I thought it was a really good chuckle, so I really like that a lot. And I mean, I would recommend it to people who like the first one, or just if you're in the mood for more Marvel adjacent movies. This is probably the only superhero movie that is not the MCU that I've enjoyed. So. Uh, you know, the, the Deadpool movies. So it's good. I thought it was good. Not, you know, I'm not going to watch it 10 times. I'm not going to buy the DVD, <laughs> but uh, it was good. What did you think of Avengers Part 2? You mean Part 3? Part 3. <laughs> yes, whatever. Whatever the la- latest one is. I can't keep track of them. Come on. Come on. I know, I know. Um, I Okay, so yeah, I saw Avengers Infinity War. I'm only like a <clears> month <throat> late to the party, but I saw it last weekend and... Um, because I discovered one of my parkour friends had not seen it either, so we went out and saw it. And um, and like I've said before on the show, I'm not like the biggest superhero movie fan. I'm not the biggest MCU fan. Like there, I definitely like a lot of the movies I've seen, but I've only seen at this point probably like a quarter of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, okay, okay. And I have not seen the second Avengers, so I've heard that it's like not great. But I've seen the first one, and I've seen most of Civil War, which was basically an Avengers movie. Um, right. And now I've moved on to Infinity War. And um, I think Infinity War was better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was really fascinating that instead of the movie being, like, a story about all the Avengers and, like, all of, like, the heroism and, like, kind of, like, their story arc going from beginning to end, that it was actually a movie about Thanos and about his story beginning and ending. Because, like, basically you get his story and his story wraps itself up at the end. And I know that like, there's going to be a part two or, you know, whatever, there's going to be like a continuation of it. But I thought it was really fascinating because especially in like this realm of movies that are always so safe where it's like every MCU movie is like, Oh, here's the good guy. Here's the villain. The villain's going to destroy the planet or it's going to destroy the universe. And we stop the villain. That's like the plot of like every MCU movie. And um, this one was really refreshing because, like, spoiler alert, the bad guy wins and he gets all the Infinity Stones for the gauntlet. And basically at the end of the movie, the last, like, 20 minutes of that movie, I was, like, shocked um, because I knew, like, I I mean, it, it was impossible to avoid spoilers. So I knew that, like, one or two characters were going to die. And I was like, OK, like, I'm kind of, like, mentally prepared for this. And then, like, the ending comes around and, like... 60% of the cast dies and I was like okay maybe I was not as prepared for this as I was for like one or two characters to die you were not ready <laughs> so like yeah it was uh, it was pretty wild whenever like because I mean the big spoiler was that Spider-Man dies because he has the line where he's like oh I don't feel so good Mr. Stark or whatever and so like that's yeah. you know the line that I've been seeing on Twitter and so I was like okay Spider-Man dies like I'm not that upset. I know they're going to find a way to bring him back. Obviously, they're making another Spider-Man, like, Homecoming 2 or whatever they're going to call it. So, like, he's not going to be, like, dead forever because that's just not the way things work in comics uh, or in comic book movies most of the time. But, uh, yeah, whenever, like, everybody else started, like, disintegrating and fading away, I was like, okay, like, this is, you know, kind of heavy. And there's, like, you know, everybody starts dying and everybody's, like, trying to figure out what to do. And... Um, and to be honest, even though I, like, knew about the Spider-Man thing, um, it was still, like, really um, impactful to me whenever he, like, grabs Tony Stark and he's like, oh, Mr. Stark, I'm not ready to die. Like, I'm not ready to go yet. And I was like, huh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, it was really uh, kind of scary for me to, like, see that because he seemed so, like, earnest and so scared, whereas the rest of the... You know, the MCU cast, as they were, like, fading away into oblivion, they were just kind of like, oh, no, what's happening? And then, like, they were gone. 
Um, and the thing that I think is the best about that scenario is that I had read on the internet from multiple sources that uh, Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, actually improvised those lines on set whenever he was, like, quote-unquote fading away, like, on set. So the fact that, like, yeah. it wasn't even written in and he just, like, improvised that and did it so well and so, like, in such, like, a touching, um, like, from-the-heart way um, that, I don't know, really speaks to... I feel like him as an actor and him knowing his character so well, especially because he's so young. I mean, he's only like 20 or something. So like, I don't know. I just thought that was really impressive the way that he like improvised those lines and did it so well. And that was probably like the most powerful moment in the movie for me. Yeah, I agree. Tom Holland is awesome. And I think that his Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man. Um, I, I really like that they made him younger because it really makes a lot of sense with who Spider-Man is as a character. And I mean, and let's not forget that when Spider-Man was originally created, I mean, he was a high school character. I mean, that was that's his actual origin. Like, he is that young. And I know that he's always kind of like that, but in the movies, he seems, like, older or just, like, you know, more mature or something like that. But I think his Spider-Man definitely the best one. I thought his death was probably the most impactful. Agreed on that, for sure. It was very touching and very, like, innocent and sad and kind of like, what's happening to me? And I'm just a kid, and what's going on? And that was... I mean, it was, it was a good one, for sure. Not good in the sense it was good, but good in the... <laughs> I take no pleasure in Spider-Man dying. I'm just Spider-Man dying was great. <laughs> no, not great, not great. But yeah, I mean, I thought the movie overall was really cool. I thought they did a good job of, I mean, kind of like you said, making it Thanos' story, which I thought was really cool. And I just I just loved, as the, the, the Marvel fanboy of the podcast here, just loved seeing all those characters interact with each other and just the, the little various tiny little chats they had and, you know, characters you don't usually meet meeting. And I mean, that just from a fanboy nerd perspective, I thought that was really super cool. And I'm just really... Uh, enjoyed all of that. I thought the special effects were great. I thought the laughs were good. The action was good. I mean, whatever. I got nothing but good things to say about it. I just really liked it a lot. And um, I, my, my only thing was just like, you know, I have not read the Infinity Gauntlet. That was a pretty famous comic series from back in the day. I did not read it, but I'm very aware of it. I mean, it was a huge deal back then. So I kind of already knew like what was going to be going down, you know, more or less. I mean, I knew the general gist of the story. So I wasn't shocked at all. I was totally expecting something like that to happen. And, you know, when it happened, I was like, okay, well, whatever. But I mean, the thing I was really shocked about was just like how many people were like freaking out and not even like, I mean, just like really freaking out about, Oh my God, what's going on. And I'm like, dude, like, let's just take a step back. <laughs> Black Panther just made more than a billion dollars. You think they're going to kill him? Yeah. No fucking way. They're going to kill the next billion. Give me a break. There's already a Spider-Man two in the works. They're not going to kill. Us. I'm like, come on guys. It's a comic book movie. And this is a very famous story. Like, it's, you know, I mean, I'm not to be that guy or anything, but like, you know, like when those um, people are like, oh, don't worry about Game of Thrones because the book's been out for 20 years and I already know what happens. Like, you know, like I'm not saying that, like, everybody needs to go read the source material before watching a movie. I'm not saying that. But like, you know, this stuff has been around for a while. And I mean, if it's your first exposure, that's totally cool. But like, at least know there's already another movie in the works for like multiple of these characters, which are supposed to be dead. And there's already another Avengers coming. So it's like. You got you got to know you got to know on some level that these guys are not going to stay dead. Are you kidding? They killed like fucking half of the fucking superheroes, dude. They're not going to let those guys die. Are you nuts? So anyway, I was just really surprised by how many people like, I mean, it just seemed like they actually were expecting these heroes to stay dead. And I'm like, dude, in a real world common sense perspective, none of these guys are. I mean, maybe like one or two of them will stay dead, but almost none of them are going to stay dead. So. Let's just let's just get a grip. It's gonna be okay. There's gonna be more more MCU. It's all coming. So anyway, all right, cool, cool, cool. Um, so overall, liked it. Oh yeah, definitely. And I am looking forward to the next one. Right on, right on. 
All right, so we are on a time crunch. We should probably get rolling. How about we uh, wrap it up and talk about some games? I like that idea. Let's talk about some games.